All right, good morning once again. Good to be with you if you're visiting. Really glad that you're here. Um, we are in a series in Exodus. This is the account where Moses leads the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, we believe the Bible is God's word, and our purpose on Sundays when we get together is to simply open God's word and let him speak to us. And so we just go straight through books of the Bible. We go verse by verse, line by line. We don't skip over anything so we can sit under his word and under the teaching of his word. And sometimes uh, that means we talk about things that are uncomfortable or things that wouldn't come up if we were doing like uh, sermon series like four weeks on joy or five weeks on hope, um, things like that. And it's always amazing to me how often just by going through the Bible, just going straight through it, uh, on, a, on a Sunday, I'll hear, you know, someone will come up and say, that was exactly what I needed to hear today. And, and not through any planning on our part, just because God's word speaks to us. It's what he does. God is sovereign. You're not here by accident. He has something that he wants you to hear today, and, and I hope you do. Um, that said, we're reading one of the stranger, more confusing uh, parts of, like, the whole Bible today. Uh, it's not the whole thing. It's actually just a very small part of the whole thing that we're reading, but it is like, it, there's weird things in the Bible, just to be honest about it. You, Jonah swallowed by the fish. It's pretty weird. Um, you know, Samson has superhuman strength until his hair is cut. Like, that's weird. This is up there with weirdness, and it exceeds those in levels of, like, confusing to understand. Um, I'm mainly saying this now, especially if, if you're visiting or if you're not a Christian, just so you know when we get there that we are like self-aware about it. You know, it's not like we're all, you know, this is normal. It's not normal. Um, but it, I, again, it's not the main thing. It's just a small part of it. And I do think there are clear things we can take from it. And so we'll do that when we get there. Exodus 4, we're picking back up where we left off last week. Exodus 3, Moses at the burning bush. And so he's, he's still there as this chapter picks up again. Um, if you remember, or if you know what happened, God meets Moses in this uh, burning bush that's, that's on fire. It's not destroyed by the fire. And there God calls Moses, says, I'm gonna send you to Egypt and uh, by, by my power and in, in, uh, my name, I'm gonna send you to my people to set them free. And um, it's also where God tells Moses his name. It's a really profound name. I am who I am. I will be what I will be. Uh, God revealing about himself that he is the basis for all of reality. He's the God who exists. He's the living God. Everything in creation comes from him. He is the source, and he's present in the lives of his creation, in our lives. He, he makes himself present to us. He becomes exactly what we need him to be, um, and, and we'll read again here. Moses' first initial response that we saw last week, so this is in chapter three, to God telling him, I'm gonna send you. His first response is, are you sure? Uh, like, I don't know about this, God. And so here's Exodus 3 in verse 10. God says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. The initial response, we get it, right? Like, th this is a good, even humble response. Like, who am I to go and do this thing? Like, I can't do that. And, and he is right. Like, part of this, he's remembering back to his own story, and this is Exodus 2, where um, Moses is brought up in the household of Pharaoh. He's adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, 
And, and one day he goes to visit his people, the people of Israel, and he sees a Hebrew slave being mistreated and he kills the taskmaster and he kind of thinks like, I'm gonna bring the people, I'm gonna be the leader and I'm gonna lead these people out. And Israel rejects him as leader. They don't want any part of what he's doing. And then Egypt, Pharaoh, tries to kill him and so he flees to the wilderness. Um, so he already failed. He already knows that he can't do it. And so that's where this response is coming from. Uh, it's good that he knows that, but look, look how God redirects him. He says, I, I know you can't. He doesn't say that, but God knows that he can't. He says, don't, don't look at yourself. Look at me. I'm going to be with you. You're not going on your own. I'm going with you. I'm going to set my people free. I'm going to set my power at work. Don't look at yourself. Look at me. When obedience to God feels overwhelming, whatever it is, um, when when forgiving someone is really difficult because you know it's going to hurt, you know it's going to cost you, you don't know, uh, I don't know, you don't know how that might affect things going forward, and you just don't want to do it. When, when you don't want to forgive someone, when making time for someone is really inconvenient, when telling someone about your faith in Jesus, when that is maybe risking their opinion of you, or even risking other things like professional opportunity, that's not when you should be looking at yourself and thinking, can I do, th like, do I have enough in the tank? Uh, do, do I have the ability, can, can I, do I have the strength for this? That's when you should look to God. And remember, he's with you, he is your strength. Again, he is sovereign, all things are in his hands. You can trust him enough to take those steps of obedience. Anyways, Moses' first response here is humility. God redirects that. Um, to, to remember that God himself is with him now into Exodus 4 because Moses still is not like really convinced by that. Exodus 4 verse 1, keep reading, uh, says this, then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put it in his, his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the, uh, like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. This is like, poor Moses, right? Um, like, this is just kind of, this is weird. It's not the weird thing I was talking about. You'll see, like, that one's weirder. Um, he's like, what if they don't believe me? Uh, and God gives him some signs to authenticate his message, to, to prove that he really has met with God, and God really is sending Moses to set his people free. Uh, and so the first thing he does is he throws his staff down and becomes a snake. And Moses is scared of the snake because he's a human being, and we should all be afraid of snakes. And, uh, and then God says, now catch it, which, you know, that's where I feel bad for him. Like, I don't want to catch a snake ever, but the burning bush is right there. So he, he does it, and it turns back into a staff. 
relief. And then he's like, okay, now put your hand in your cloak. And he does, and he takes it out, and he's, like, diseased. <laughs> and, like, it feels like God's, like, threatening him almost. Like, you better listen, or, like, you see what I can do? Um, I don't think that's what's happening, but you could kind of read it that way. Uh, and so God gives him these two, these three signs, the Nile, uh, the water turning to blood as well. And uh, so, like, a lot happening in here, just to pull the essence out of it. Moses' basic response is, what if they don't believe me? Which is fair. He sees the burning bush and hears God's voice speaking to him, and he can't take the bush with him. And so, uh, so God gives him these signs to sort of uh, to, to authenticate his message and, and prove that his claim is true. It's interesting, you know, some people who are skeptical about God, skeptical about faith, about the existence of God, sometimes you hear them say things like, well, you know, if God is real, just have him strike that tree with lightning. Uh, they, they want a sign. And the biggest problem with that is you're not really in a position to dictate to God what the sign has to be, you know? Like, you don't get to do that. You're not in that position. Um, God makes himself known in all kinds of different ways. God reveals himself to people. Just listen to anyone's story, anyone who's had an encounter with God, and they'll tell you all the different ways that God kind of makes himself known, reveals the, the reality of who he is. That happens in all different kinds of ways through, through you know, encounters that you have, through people that you meet, through things that you hear, uh, through his word and through studying history and uh, studying even science and just seeing the evidence. Like, you, God reveals himself in all different kinds of ways. Ultimately, like, the most trustworthy way that God has revealed himself to us is through his son Jesus and his resurrection that was witnessed. That's such a powerful sign. It's such a powerful proof that first century Jewish people who are fiercely uh, monotheistic, all right, there's only one God, fiercely believe that any Jewish person who starts to acknowledge another God is guilty of the sin of blasphemy, and the rest of the Jewish people would stone them to death, and, and they'd all think that's fine, okay? Fiercely monotheistic first century Jewish people witness the resurrection of Jesus and start to worship the man Jesus as God. They're convinced, right? God is a trinity. Jesus is God. They become convinced about that. They start worshiping him in a way that would make them guilty of the sin of blasphemy, and, and the rest of the Jewish com community could legally, by their laws, stone them to death. God is the one who determines how he makes himself known, what signs he's going to use, what ways he's going to show himself to you. It's your job to look. It's your job to see and hear and understand what he's trying to show you and form a response to it. It's not your job and it's not your position to dictate to him, this is what you have to do so I'll be satisfied and, and believe in you. Has God been revealing himself to you? Has, what is he, has he been showing you that he's real? Has he been showing that, that he loves you, that he makes a way for you to be forgiven? How, how has he been doing that? What has he been doing? Has he been speaking through his word? Has he been speaking through people in your life? Through, through opportunities that are opening up? How is it that God's revealing himself to you? Are you willing to explore that and make a decision?
Let's keep reading on because Moses still is not convinced yet. Uh, Verse 10, but Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Uh, Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. This is where Moses starts to get in a little bit of trouble because he already tried this. He already said, like, who am I? He's already said, like, I don't think I'm, I'm able. And God already answered that. He says, I'm going to be the one with you. So now he's saying, like, I'm not that good at talking, God. Uh, and he probably said it like that, not, like, properly. See how I did that? Um, and, uh, and God's like, I'm the one who makes mouths. I'm the one who gives people speech. I'm going to put the right words in your mouth. Like, this hasn't changed. I'm still going to be with you. What is probably happening here is Moses is deliberately sort of ignoring or forgetting what God had just told him about how I'm going to be there with you and I'm going to be there to help you. Sometimes we tell ourselves we can't do the things God wants us to do for all kinds of reasons, all kinds of reasons why I can't take this step of obedience, I can't take this step of faith, I can't do this. All kinds of reasons we come up with. The reason hiding behind the reasons is I don't really want to. I don't really want to, either because I'm scared or because I'm comfortable or for whatever. It's just that we don't want to, and then we go in search of reasons for why we can't. But God has an answer for those. I'm with you. You can trust me. I've always liked this picture of faith. I always kind of use this one in my head where, so it's like picture when you're young, when you're a kid, and you're at a pool, and your mom or dad is in the pool, and they say, you know, jump to me and I'll catch you. And you don't know how to swim and so it's, it's scary or whatever. Um, how do you know that, the, that you really have faith in, in your mom and dad to catch you? How do you know that you really trust them to catch you if you're gonna jump? By whether you jump or not. That shows, is the faith really there or is it not there? Faith is making the jump. It's just like Peter stepping off the boat into the storm says, Jesus, if it's you, command me to come out to you. And he says, come out to me. Steps out on the water. That's the picture of faith. By the way, I think my daughter, Amelia, who is two years old, I think she has probably the greatest faith of anyone who's ever lived because she will jump off of anything at any time, anywhere, whether you're looking or not, and trust that you'll catch her. Like at the like at the playground, they're like six feet up, and you're like someone called your name, and then you, she just hits you, and uh, you know, so she's gonna she's gonna lead a revival one day. Um, part of that, she just has no fear, and one one day she'll learn. Um, let's keep reading, verse thirteen. Moses tries one last time to get out of this. He really doesn't want to go. Verse thirteen, but he said, "Oh my Lord, please send someone else." Like, just like, could it not be me, right? Just pick someone. And uh, verse 14, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him and take in your hands the staff with which you will do these signs. 
that is basically, you will be as God to him. That's not like a weird thing. That's just like, Moses, I'm going to speak to you what, what you need to know, and then you speak that to Aaron. And so he's just saying that's the order that it's going to work. Um, this is basically a refusal on, on Moses' part. He's trying really hard to refuse. And God finally gets mad. But like even in God's anger, he, um, he doesn't like say, fine, I'll go find someone else. And he doesn't throw a lightning bolt at Moses to just like, you know, because Moses being annoying. Um, in his anger, God is still patient and gracious towards Moses. Um, he, he kind of makes this compromise for Moses where his brother Aaron is going to go and speak for him. Um, what I want us to see here is God's incredible patience and grace. With, with all of his fear and all of his doubts and all of his excuses and not wanting to do the thing that God's telling him to do, even though God, his anger is kindled against Moses, he still does everything that he can to help Moses go at a pace that, that he's, he's finally willing to manage, the, the pace that God sets where he's, he's sending Aaron to help now. Um, God has so much more patience for us than we ever have for him. You know, like we lose our patience with God, we get frustrated with God pretty quickly when things are not going the way that we want them to or he's not answering prayer the way or the timing that we want him to. Um, and, and like, here's the kicker with like, you know, God having his anger towards us when we're kind of dragging our feet and, and us being frustrated with God. Um, sometimes the thing that we want God to do that we're getting impatient about is like a selfish thing anyways, right? Like it's not something we necessarily need. It's something that we want. It's not necessarily something that's gonna help us to grow stronger in our, our faith or uh, more virtuous in our character or anything like that, but the thing that God wants from us always is what we most need. It's the step that we most need to take for our joy and for our health. Uh, all the things that he wants us to do, the, the ways he wants us to be obedient to him, those are all so that we would grow in our love uh, he, he wants us to take steps of faith so that as we do that, we can see his power at work in our lives. We can see his power at work in setting people free from their sin and changing hearts and making new life and giving hope to the hopeless and peace to the restless and all these amazing things that God does and we get a front row seat to that when we walk in faith and obedience in align with his will. And when we live that way, we're living uh, in, in alignment for the purpose that God's created us for, and that makes our lives so much more incredibly meaningful and satisfying. Like, he wants the best for us. Like, look at what Moses is going to do. He's going to set the people free. He's going to see God's power at work. He's going to deepen his faith and his relationship with God. He wants the best for us, and he's like very determined that we get the best. Moses tries to refuse God, but God refuses his refusal. This is just the best. I saw this thing recently where this guy got a um, rejection letter from Harvard, and uh, he wrote them back, and he's like, thank you for your rejection letter, but I've decided to reject it. Um, you know, after careful consideration, uh, and it's not a reflection on you, it's a result of my strict rejection criteria, and, uh, and so Harvard accepted him, it was pretty great. 
no, they didn't, <laughs> it didn't work. They wrote back, they're like, very funny, but you're still not a student. Um, when God rejects your rejection, it has a lot more weight than that. Um, so Moses does, he does, he gets uh, started moving, and uh, this is verse 18. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Um, all right, before we get to that last part there, Moses goes and tells his father-in-law Jethro that he's going. You still see the hesitation in Moses about this because he goes to Jethro and he says, can I go back to Egypt to see if my family's still alive? That's what I want to do there. He doesn't say, like, I just met God. He was in a burning bush, and he wants me to lead a revolution against, like, the world superpower. Uh, he doesn't say any of those things. So still some hesitation, but he does go, and, and we do see he starts, you know, throughout this, he grows in confidence and, and everything. Um, along the way, so as he's going, and it might have taken some time because it says the people who were after his life are dead, and so I don't know how long that took. Um, along the way, God speaks to Moses again. He reconfirms the plan, some of the, some of the details that we already saw in, in Exodus 3 when he initially tells him. Uh, now, though, pointing ahead to the Passover, so there's gonna be the 10 plagues and the last one, the death of the firstborn in Egypt, except for those who are covered by the blood of the lamb. Um, I've mentioned before, I'll mention again here, because it, does say, God does say, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. What we're going to see as we read through the plagues is initially, as God sends the plague and Pharaoh says, I'll let the people go, what we read is Pharaoh hardened his heart and he decides to keep the people there. And that happens again and again and again. Pharaoh's decision to harden his own heart until further on, we start reading that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So it's not that God is making Pharaoh do something that he doesn't want to do or is not in line with his character or the pattern of his choices in the past. He's giving him, God is giving Pharaoh over to the choices that he's made. Does that make sense? Uh, it's, it's just because we can get uncomfortable reading this and thinking like, could that be me? Like what if, what if I'm just like doing great one day and God's like hardened heart and like that's it. Uh, that, that's not what we see happening, and that's not what God does. God does not override us uh, and make us sin when we don't want to sin, okay? Uh, sometimes God overrides us and makes and forgives us and saves us and makes us righteous when we don't want to be saved and forgiven and righteous. Uh, he sometimes overrides us that way, but not, not the other way. Does that make sense? 
what's, what's important to see here, one of the important things to see here is the way that God speaks about his people in, in verse 22 and 23. He says, Israel, the nation Israel, they are my firstborn son. In the ancient world, uh, firstborn son is, that phrase is a legal designation, like a, a legal position status that you have, uh, and it's not necessarily referring to the sequence of birth. So like my daughter Amelia is my firstborn child, um, but the firstborn son, that's, that's a legal position that is uh, the, the one who inherits the father's possessions. Um, and so you could have an adoptive firstborn son, they would be considered the firstborn could be someone who comes later in sequence, like Jacob and Esau in, in Genesis, you read that. Um, anyways, they're in this, this kind of privileged position of all the people of the world. These are my you know, precious firstborn son. Um, God's people really are precious to him. Like, if that's you, if you are adopted into the family of God by faith in Jesus, uh, for, for the forgiveness of your sins, if that's you, do you know how precious you are to him? Do you know how much you matter to him and, and how far he's willing to go for you? Look at, what he's, look at what he says to Pharaoh. Look at what Jesus does. We're gonna look at that more later. Let's keep reading, and here's the weird one that I was preparing you for um, in the beginning. Verse 24 at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. It's pretty self-explanatory, <laughs> right? Like we don't need to spend time on it. Do we all agree? Just in case, in case anyone is confused, I don't know why you would be, um, let, me, let me do my best to briefly explain and, and try and bring some meaning out of this. Because honestly, the text doesn't try to explain a lot of the things that we have questions about, like, like why the feet, like why does he have to, she have to touch the feet, like that's not really clear. Or like one of the other really confusing things is like, why now? You know, like he was at the burning bush and it, they, they spoke on the way, and like all these opportunities, and his son must have not been circumcised all those times. So, like, why now? Um, one of the speculations about that that it doesn't tell us, we just think uh, could be the case, uh, and it does seem in keeping with Moses' character that he maybe just be dragging his feet a lot. Um, time can move very quickly in Old Testament narrative when, uh, like. Pharaoh is adopted, or not Pharaoh, Moses is adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and grows up in Egypt and reaches 40 years of age in like three verses in Exodus 2. Like 40 years pass, just like that. And then in the wilderness, from the time he gets there to the burning bush, it's probably about another like 40 years. And in the text, it just passes like that. And, you know, he waited until f the Pharaoh who's trying to put him to death is himself dead, and so it might be that he's just kind of making more excuses, dragging his feet, and, and God needs to kind of kick him into gear. So that might be part of the reason why now and not earlier. Um, and then, like, kind of all of a sudden, like, God's trying to kill him. Even that, like, God's trying to kill him is not a very helpful phrase, because if God wants to kill you, it's, like, not hard for him, you know? Like, he could just do it. Uh, it's, it's like, 
easier for God to kill you than it is for you to, to kill like one of those Japanese lanternflies that are killing all of our trees and, just, and they sometimes jump away so you might not get it. God always gets the person that he wants to get so be careful. Um, it could be that, uh, that he's, he's kind of dragging his feet and, and that's why it's now and this is God creating an opportunity for repentance about something, and that's why he like sought to kill him, but Moses isn't destroyed. Uh, in any case, there are three things that we do know about this kind of strange passage uh, where you know, a, a lot is confusing. Three things we do know. God is angry with Moses, that's clear. The issue he's angry about is concerning circumcision. And, and because when Moses' son is circumcised, God's wrath disappears. Um, early in our series, we talked a bit about how Exodus, it's not like book two and Genesis is book one. They're both parts of the same story, and a lot of things that happen and are started in Genesis, which is the book of beginnings, they continue, and we see them uh, in Exodus. And so one of those, we see circumcision introduced in Genesis 17. It says this, uh, and God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and that shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Uh, the, the reason that Israel is designated as God's firstborn son is um, the, the reason that he is their God and they are his people. It's because of this covenant promise that God establishes with Abraham, who is the patriarch of Israel. Um, and circumcision is the sign of that covenant. It's the physical sign that serves as a reminder that this covenant is in place. And it is commanded to continue throughout their generations with their offspring. On the eighth day, the, the male um, sons would be circumcised. And once you have that physical mark that serves as a reminder, a sign of the covenant, it's with you forever, right? Like if you're circumcised, you can't get uncircumcised. Doesn't work that way. Um, this is part of what made God's people sort of distinct and set apart from the other people around them. Uh, it's not that way anymore. If anyone's like, huh, uh, don't worry. Um, the New Testament is very clear now uh, the way you belong to the people of God is by faith in Jesus. It's not by attaching yourself to Israel and conforming to their practices that include circumcision. Uh, it's, it's by faith in Jesus. Any decision about circumcision today should only be medical. It should not be spiritual. If you put any spiritual significance on it, actually, that would be like, that would be sin. Um, so medical decision, not a spiritual one. I'm gonna try and say the word circumcision less now. I think I might have to say it like a couple more times. Um, since the people have this sign, let's talk about it without talking about it, uh, which God instructs for all their offspring after them, uh, and the sign means you are my people and I am your God, and Moses' son does not have this sign, what seems to be the case is Moses' wife Zipporah, she, it doesn't seem like she's on board with this practice. Um, and maybe to keep the peace in the house, Moses has agreed, like, fine, we're just not gonna do it. Um, 
but God is not going to have the man that he's sending to lead his people to freedom make his own personal compromises and choose, here's where I'm gonna be obedient to God and here's where obedience to God just doesn't matter. Like that's the root of the problem that's going on here. Moses is making decisions. I'm gonna be obedient to God in these things. Obedience to God in this doesn't matter. Um, We don't get to do that. Or like I guess you could, but it would be bad, you know? Like, you're not in a good, it's not like, well, you're mostly obedient, um, and so, like, you're mostly good. Like, that's not how it works. In Matthew 7, Jesus says this, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. There's a wide and easy way, uh, and then there's a narrow and, and a hard way. On the wide and easy way, that's where you get to do what Moses is doing. You get to make your decisions. I'm gonna listen to God about these things, but about these things, I'm not. Uh, I know what he says, and I'm just gonna decide those aren't important, or I'm going to look for reasons why those uh, don't matter to me. Um, And so you're kind of looking for ways to do that, and you're just saying, I'm gonna make these decisions here, and you're keeping really the authority for yourself to decide how you want to live. On the narrow way, what makes it hard is you say, I'm going to listen to God, I'm gonna submit to God no matter what it is, no matter how inconvenient it is, no matter what it may cost me. I'm gonna say, God, not my will, your will be done. There's no such thing as like one foot in, one foot out when it comes to faith in Jesus, when it comes to you know, living as, as a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, the new creation that he makes us, there's no such thing as one foot in, one foot out. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to live perfectly and every time you sin and you're stepping your foot out that like you're not on the narrow way. The, the difference is um, of bounds for, for what God's will is for your life. When you do that, if you're on the wide and easy way, you say, this is fine, this isn't a big deal. I don't need to change this. Here are all my reasons why I don't need to change this. You're coming up with self-justifications and reasons for why this thing is actually fine or not a big deal, whatever it is. On the narrow and the hard way, when you fall short or you step out of bounds, you say, I need to repent, I need to change, I need to resubmit myself to God again. I need to turn away from my sin and turn towards him. I'm not going to make peace with any of the sin in my life, any of the things that God, God tells me is, is disobedience. I'm not gonna be fine with that. And that's like a posture that you carry with you through your whole life. It's what makes the narrow road hard. But it's the way that leads to life. Like this is what happens for, for Moses and Zipporah. Like they need to repent. We don't, again, know why she seems to be against this practice, but when, when she recognizes how serious their disobedience really is, then she repents. Um, and, and I'm not sure if she means it this way, but it kind of seems like it, where when she says, surely you are bridegroom of blood to me, like that seems like she's taking a shot at Moses. Like she's not happy, right? Like you're bringing all this blood into our family and how dare you. This is why premarital counseling is important, by the way. Like, if any of you are not married yet, and if you are married, you already know, but if you're not married yet, like, you need to have certain conversations before, and just, you know, how you're going to make decisions, and and what's important to you. Um, 
common values way more important than common interests in marriage. So just a little bit of wisdom there. Um, this, this is a weird account. I do think that there are some things we can take from it that are very helpful. First of all, just about, you, like you can't be wishy-washy in your faith. You can't be kind of listening to God and then, well, and then kind of not, you know? Um, there, there's no such thing as one foot in, one foot out. But also, that there really are consequences for sin. You know, like it is a big deal. God's not arbitrary when he says, here's the way that I want you to live, here's what's good and here's what's evil. Like those aren't arbitrary designations by God. And we know and we see all the ways that sin can be uh, destructive in our own lives, right? When we make selfish decisions and we're unloving to people and we ignore some of the things that God says, we know how that can damage or destroy our relationships with others. We know that um, the regret that can weigh us down with, uh, even the ways it could be damaging to our health or damaging to our finances or, um, or damaging just, just our own sense of peace. Like all those consequences for sin we're familiar with, we've, we've experienced them, but those aren't even the worst. Th- those aren't even like the, the biggest problem that sin brings into our lives. The biggest problem that sin brings into our lives is that there's a God who's just who cares about justice. And because he cares about justice, he can't overlook sin. He can't just let it go. It's not justice anymore. The good news is that same God who is just is also loving and merciful. And rather than simply demanding payment for our sins, he makes a way for us to be forgiven through his son Jesus. Romans 6, 23 says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sometimes we don't take our sin seriously. Some, a lot of the time we don't take our sin seriously. Sometimes, because it looks like Moses' sin where he's like kind of listening to God but also kind of not and he's dragging his feet and taking his time and he's choosing where he wants to obey God and where it's not important to obey God. But what the sin in us, what that really is, is it is a rebellion against God. It's a refusal to acknowledge God as the highest authority in in your life and say, I'm ultimately gonna be the highest authority in my life. I'm gonna decide the way that I wanna live or how I wanna listen to God or how I don't want to. It's, It's a refusal to love God and trust him and, and listen to him as the highest authority in our lives to, to fully embrace God as God. Recognizing that he's my creator, he's the source of my life, he's the source of everything. Refusal to acknowledge him as God. What we deserve, the wages for our sin is death. But the free gift of God is, is the forgiveness of sins. It's eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even in like kind of a similar way that we just saw in this really strange account that the thing that makes peace between God and Moses is, is through the blood of his son, right? It's through the blood of Jesus that he sheds on the cross that he makes peace with us for God, uh, b- between us and God. Jesus pays the debt that we owe for our sins with his own blood, pouring it out on the cross so that we could be forgiven and set free. All because he loves us. This is a free gift. All because he loves us. That love 
is the thing that changes you. When you see this is how much Jesus loves me, this is how far he's willing to go for me, this is what he's willing to pay for me, when you understand the love of God for you in Jesus, in, in the good news of the gospel, when, that, when you really understand that and encounter that, that is the thing that touches your heart and starts to transform you and change you from the inside out. When God is revealing himself to you in all the ways that he does that, in all the ways that he has been doing that in your life, the ways that he's doing it right now, and the ways that he's going to continue, like this is what he wants you to know about himself. He wants you to know that, that he is just and, and he cares about sin. He wants you to know that he loves you, he can forgive you. He wants you to be his. He wants to adopt you as his own precious child. He wants the best for you. He wants you to be, to be free from your sin. He wants to give you the hope of eternal life. He wants you to live your life aligned to his will and the purpose that he's made you for so that your life becomes as meaningful and satisfying as it could possibly be. Loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Telling people, pointing people to the hope that you have in Jesus and seeing his power at work to change more people's lives for the better. Have you made peace with God through the blood of Jesus? Have you made a decision to put your faith in Jesus, to put your faith in the work that he does for you on the cross, say that alone is what can forgive my sin, that alone is what can make me righteous, and give your life to follow him? Are you dragging your feet at all? Or are you, you compromising sort of one foot in, one foot out? I'm willing God to listen to you about all these things, just this one thing here. I don't wanna, I don't wanna have to listen to you about this. Do you know what it is that God wants you to do and you just don't wanna do it? Like you know the steps that he wants you to take. He knows, you know what faithfulness looks like. You know what obedience looks like. You just don't want to do it and you're coming up with reasons for why you don't have to do it. It's not important for you to do it. If you feel like God is speaking to you right now in this, maybe what's happening is the same thing that happened for Moses. You've been trying to refuse God and he's refusing your refusal. He's not letting go. He's still after you. He's still showing you. He's still speaking to you. He's still giving you opportunities for repentance. Just a few verses for us to end on here today. Verse 27 says this. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. So Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of them. When they had heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. So Moses goes and he meets Aaron and they speak to the elders of Israel and like everything is happening the way God said right? Um, 
It's what happens when you're God, I guess. You just know things. You know, you, all your sovereign, all things are in your hands. Your word is truth. Um, everything he said, even from, you know, in, in the beginning of our series, we looked at some of the prophecies that God spoke to Abraham, and uh, those are all coming true. And everything God says to Moses at the burning bush, those things are coming true. Um, everything that Moses was afraid of, they're not gonna believe me. Like, they all believe. Like, they're on board. Uh, and, and things are going well right now. That doesn't mean they're going to go well forever. Like, the initial response of Israel here is like, let's worship God and let's do everything that he says, and very quickly it becomes, go away. Uh, But God refuses their refusal, too. Um, Everything God tells Moses comes true, both the good and the bad. And God's already been honest about the bad. He says, "Um, I'm going to send you to Egypt. I'm going to give you these signs and these wonders to do Pharaoh's not going to listen. Like, that's not going to be an easy ministry for you. Uh, I'm going to have to use a mighty hand to bring my people out of Egypt. Just because God is with you doesn't mean everything is suddenly going to be easy. Uh, Sometimes God gives you a difficult task for his own reasons. You still know that he loves you. You still know that he cares about you. Sometimes he gives you a difficult assignment. And in the times when you have a difficult assignment, again, that's not the time to be looking at yourself and thinking, here's all the ways this is overwhelming to me, all the ways I can't do this. I don't have the strength for this. I don't have the ability. I don't have the wisdom. Don't look always at yourself. Look to God. Look to God who's with you. Look to Jesus who gave himself for you. If God is with us, who can stand against us? When you look to him, that's when, that's how you get new strength to continue on in faith, to continue on in obedience, always trusting him. Let me pray for us.